Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training, Dennis Benino. I have a guy with me today who's a chief of police whose last name rhymes with mine. And when they said your name yesterday, I have a cousin named Chris Benino, but you're Chris Menino. Correct. And uh, I'm guessing you're a fellow Italian like myself. Does that make sense? I am. I certainly yeah. am. Yes. All right. So Chris Menino is the chief of police and we caught a post that he put up on LinkedIn and started to follow some of his stuff and thought it was a good idea to get him on the podcast. I think he aligns, even though not familiar too much with street cop training, his alignment with our beliefs is pretty similar. So we thought it'd make an interesting conversation here. A chief police from the suburbs of Chicago to give a little bit of his opinion on things in law enforcement. And uh, I think we're going to probably end up sparking a friendship through this event. So without further ado, thank you, Chief Menino, for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Before we started going live on the podcast, we talked a little bit about a post that you had put up. And I just want to circle back around to that. And it was a post regarding beards and tattoos. So why don't you, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So essentially it was a a post on LinkedIn that just was basically saying that beards and tattoos aren't what we think leads to unprofessional policing, right? That it's not necessarily the appearance, not saying appearance doesn't matter, but but the focus should be on unconstitutional policing. Is a police department serving people with passion? Is it fair and impartial policing? Instead of the focus being on facial hair and and some ink on the skin, which, you know, I personally believe that if your requirements are too strict, you're probably losing candidates right now. And we're all fighting for the same limited human resources. And, And instead of focusing on some of the external things like that, which really I think the public accepts those things right now, we should just be focused on providing good quality police service. You know, it's interesting. I know of an agency, and I'm not going to say what agency it is, that is down and hurting. Like they're down like 500 guys and girls, obviously officers, and they're down. And I watched agencies across this country literally can't find candidates because of the tattoo policy because everybody's got sleeves now and will sit and work without considering changing their policy. And I guess the policy is within reason, right? Do I think you should have knuckle tattoos as a police officer? I don't know. You know, who am I to make that decision? But eventually all these agencies finally eventually break down and have to accept the tattoo policies of other places because they're literally choosing to work shorthanded because they won't allow people who are good cops who at their even at their own agency were allowed to have tattoos to transfer a lateral into their agency because of tattoo policy, which I agree with you. I think it's I think uh, you ever see that meme with the fat sloppy cop. It's a cartoon and uh, they get the fit cop who's got tattoos and he says, you look like a disgrace because you got tattoos. It's comical. And when you hold these people accountable and start to bring their decision making to accountability and and holding them up to like, what are you even talking about? They generally tend not to want to come to the table and have the discussion. They run and hide because they're romantic with the past or the the way things were in 1986. And I constantly iterate that you have to understand that the world is changing, the dynamics changing, and police departments have to adapt and change with the world. What's your thoughts on that? We need to ask the question of, is it the community that doesn't accept the standards? Or like you mentioned, is it some tie to this, this past, some image we have internally of what a police officer is supposed to look like. Now, I'll acknowledge there may be places in the country still where there's a community standard where maybe that wouldn't be acceptable. And I think that a police department has to be responsive to community standards. But I think those locations are increasingly rare. And then what you're often finding is an old school of thinking of this is what a cop should look like in our belief internally, not what the community actually thinks. I think by and large, most of U.S. and Canadian policing accept cops with some ink on their skin and some well-groomed facial hair. So your guys, what's your policy at your agency? 
for tattoos, essentially, it can't be anything offensive, can't be interpreted as gang-related, violence, you know, nudity, or sexually explicit. Basically, if it shocks the conscious, you'd have to have it covered up. But other than that, we have guys with, with sleeves. We've got someone with, with some neck ink, and they're great officers. They serve the public well, and, and most importantly, they care about people and the people that we serve. And that's what that's what's important to us. I love it. You said shock the conscious. That's an interesting term that not many people are familiar where that term stems from. Was that a case law reference there, Chief? Uh, well, I mean, look, I'm just trying to put it in parlance that we might use. It tickles me that people actually know that terminology because maybe you don't know, I'm assuming you don't, that we are a very big founded agency on our company on case law. That's really what we push a lot of. The familiarity and knowing case law as a police officer and the importance of it. So when yeah, I hear shock absolutely. the conscious, it's just really, it's, uh, it's, yeah. it's good to hear, man. It's refreshing. Yeah. When you said, uh, let's go back a little bit. You said unconstitutional policing. I want to dig into this a little bit because again, I'm in agreement with you. And, and before we talk about unconstitutional policing, do you mean in the sense of a malicious intent or a malfeasance of knowledge or in lack of training. So what could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I would say don't both have the same end result ultimately, right? Correct. Both both deny someone their constitutional rights. Now, obviously doing so with malfeasance is more egregious, but the net result's the same if you're doing it out of ignorance. So we don't want unconstitutional policing through any means, right? We want to make sure we're policing in a way that's aggressively fighting crime, but doing so in a way that's respecting people's constitutional rights. Right. Play the game fair, right? These are the rules. Exactly. And by the way, the game can be won when you follow the rules. And everybody knows that. And if you know what you're doing, you know how to follow the rules. Well, I would suggest that it's a really good idea to follow those rules. When you say, what are you guys doing to fix some of those deficiencies in law enforcement? What are you guys doing in-house internally? Yeah, well, well, first of all, the focus is on not just net results, right? It's not numbers. It's not how many collars you bring in or something like that. It's are we policing in a way that's fair, impartial, that's done judiciously? You know, we could go out and write a million tickets for one headlight. And I'm not suggesting there's never a reason to stop a car for one headlight. But we're, what we're more interested in is, are you looking in that car in your approach? Are you trying to find evidence of weapons or, or illegal activity? Are we focusing on the, on the big picture? And then, like you said, are we playing by the rules? Are we doing it in a way where if someone's followed the rules, they're not really in danger of having an encounter with us? And if they have broken the rules, we're going to follow our own set of rules on the way to make sure that, one, we do it right, and two, that the, the case stands up when it finally comes to court. Because what have we done if we've made the arrest, and at the end of the day, they're let free because we've made some error along the way? On top of those two questions, are you getting, you know, are you a trendsetter? Are you getting pushback from other agencies or are you getting judgment your way of the way you do things, which is quote unquote, kind of different than most agencies? Do you think this is the way of the future when we talk about where policing has to transform and mold into? Yeah. So there's a couple different questions there to unpack. I'm not really concerned with being a trendsetter. I'm concerned with making sure the Park Forest Police Department, a tiny little suburb in the, the Chicago area, police as well. And we serve our citizens well. Right. So yeah. what the cities around us think, we get pushed back on certain things. For example, we're extremely transparent on social media. We share what's going on, including the crime. And there's a lot of cities that don't want to do that. They don't want to talk about what's going on in their communities. Well, I believe and we believe as an organization that a resident's got a right to know what's happening in their community, even if it's bad news, because the message behind that is we're addressing it. Right. So we're not embarrassed by that. I wish crime wasn't what it was right now in the Chicago region. We're like a lot of communities facing an uptick in violent crime, but it's regional, first of all. So I'm not taking it personally in that sense. I take it personal in the sense of, we don't want it happening here. We're going to do everything we can to make sure it's not, but we're going to do it in a way that's within the law. And that recognizes that most of our residents, most of our visitors 
are not committing those crimes. And they all have a right to constitutional protection. So we're going to aggressively fight crime, but we're going to do it in a way that still appreciates people, has a passion for people, and ultimately, I guess, just shows respect to people. What do you think the relationship, because of your dynamic attitude towards how you police, what do you think your relationship's like with your community because of that? Yeah, we actually have a really good relationship. And there's a recipe in place for that not to be the case. And the reason is we're probably about 70% African-American. Our police department is, while we're the most diverse we've ever been, we're still over 50% white. So that right there creates that racial dynamic where there's an opportunity for misunderstanding, miscommunication, or, or friction. Yet we don't have that because in large part, we police in a way that's constitutional. We are transparent, communicate openly with the public, and we have a culture of just community and respect. And now some of the advantages were smaller. So we're a 42 officer department in a 22,000 person community. So it's easier to have a more personal relationship with the community. But I don't think it's impossible at larger levels. I think it's what's the culture internally, what's the training, and what's the relationship you're trying to promote with the community. You asked earlier, is this the future of policing? I believe it has to be. I believe that we can't keep doing what we've been doing. My dad was a cop. It was a different time then. A cop can expect to get out of the car, tell someone what to do, and they better do it or else there was use of force coming behind it. I think now we're learning we have to take some time. We may have to spend a little bit more time explaining. Does it cause some frustration on our end? Sure. It would be great if everyone followed the law to the letter of the law. I don't know that we're there, though, and we're going to be there as a society. Law enforcement is going to learn how to communicate a little bit better on our end and maybe show a little patience in those non-critical moments. When I thought that we were going to line up exactly, I figured this was going to exactly happen. I'm actually digging to find something that we don't agree on. I'm imagining we're probably somewhere in the same realm ballpark. And I just made a chest of regard on Monday when I had a class in Pennsylvania. We were in Westchester, Pennsylvania. And I said, you know, we are on the horizon of some of the most talented people in law enforcement with this real good outlook on how these Gen Xers, as we come up through this thing, you're going to start seeing good transitions in police departments to openness, less rigidness, and wanting to see improvement and change. And we're a little bit more of a ballsy generation where we're a little less afraid. We're not timid. We were still outspoken. We still kind of grew up with the people before us. Our parents were baby boomers. They were tough. World War II, you know, all those things. But now you're getting these people who are actually understanding things and and maybe not to the point where you have Generation Y, but we're molding Generation Y a little bit to understand. Because when you can tell a millennial or show them a way to something they believe in, I'm telling you, hands down, you're going to get the best employee you'll ever get in your life. I think 94% of people that work at this company are millennials. And I got to tell you, I have one of the most impressive teams you'll ever see in your life. And it's not because I pump their pockets full of money. When they get paid well, I do take care of them and they get treated like a million dollars. That's the number one thing. So I treat them with tremendous respect. I'm very compassionate with a lot of empathy and understand that life does happen and things. And, you know, we have people who literally have misbehaved. And I'm like, look, you were having a day where I think anxiety was dictating your behavior. And I don't take that personal. And they're like, I'm sorry, I have a bad day. We get it. No big deal. So with that being said about these people who exist and trying to mold this new generation, do you find yourself getting more police officers attracted to trying to get onto your police department, which in turn creates a better police officer for your agency? First, I want to go back to your point about generations, because it seems like you hear so much negativity about the millennial right now, and it's it's even starting about generation. I actually wrote an article that I put up on LinkedIn about that very topic that I believe that best generation, the greatest generation of policing is still to come, and it is going to be millennials and what's coming afterwards. There are some valid generational criticisms, but every generation has its quirks, right? But what we're finding is millennials can actually, despite the 
the criticism that they can't communicate because they're always on their phone. We found they're less judgmental of others. They actually do communicate better, even if the style of communication is, is different. And they are very eager, eager to learn. So that right there gives me hope that we are moving into an even better era of policing. And it's not to criticize my dad's generation of, of cops who I have great admiration for. I mean, I was raised literally by baby boomers, both literally my family and, and here in, in policing. But I think we're moving to something even better, something even more open-minded. And I think that's good for policing in, in general. We've been very happy with the talent we're able to recruit here in Park Forest, Illinois. It's probably related to, to several factors. We pay well, but I think it's also our culture. And we've had multiple candidates say, hey, we follow you on social media. We love what you're doing and we want to be a part of that. We even have a, a lateral opening right now. And one of the messages we got from an applicant is that very same thing. Hey, I see what you're doing through social media and I'd really be happy to be a part of that. It's awesome. Well, you know, there's a lot of police departments that aren't trying to recruit on social media. They have their clueless that all of these millennials and generations afterwards, they're checking out the police departments on social media. And if, if a department either has nothing or it's nothing but lost dogs on their Facebook and Instagram pages, what a missed opportunity to reach out to these limited human resources we're all fighting for right now. And you leave that off the table, not even thinking about communicating that way. Why do you think, and I, and I have my own answer for this, why do you think these agencies that aren't considering some of this stuff more important aren't acting on that? No, we're looking at your example and saying, why is he getting all the good guys and girls? Why do you think that is? And I, I'll give you my theory once you're done giving your theory on it. Yeah, I, I think there's a large group in law enforcement leadership that doesn't understand social media. They don't connect to it in any kind of way. It's meaningful and they don't understand how the generation we're trying to reach right now live their lives, their phones. And it's not a criticism. I do it too. I shop on my phone. I, I get my news on my phone, my entertainment, but increasingly millennials and lower are doing that. And if we want to reach them, that's the way to do it. But if a leader is not connected in that way, doesn't get it, just sees Facebook as fluff. Instagram is just some pretty pictures. What's the point? They're missing that opportunity to reach a, a whole generation of, of new police officers. I think as a macro, and I say this quite often, and you know, listen, I don't say things with the intention of winning everybody. I'm on a theory of people like us do things like this. And if you want to come aboard, we got some room in our bus. You're more than welcome to come. And if not, that's fine. Not everything. We don't make something that's designed for every cop there is. But I do regard this often, and I think it really strikes a core with a lot of people. I say, you know, one of the worst things about law enforcement is there's a guaranteed paycheck every two weeks for minimum requirement. So every two weeks, no matter how you perform, as long as you're not getting in trouble and you answer your service, calls, you can guarantee that you're not only going to get a paycheck, but you're also going to get a pay raise according to your... To your and, and you might get promoted. And when you go to a command staff at times and say, you know, we need to make change, what do they care, right? It, as long as it doesn't disrupt their direct deposit into their Wells Fargo account every two weeks, oftentimes they're just like, yeah, well, whatever. Next guy can figure it out. I'm getting paid and there's no requirement to perform. I, I often told people, I said, well, what do you think is the solution to that? You know, when I get interviewed, and I tell them, I think, I find it very comical that when you're a patrolman, you're going to get quarterly and semi-annual reviews or annual reviews, and you're going to be critiqued on the work that you do. But patrolmen don't critique their supervisors. Now, I have heard of some agencies where they actually implement this stuff, where actually we have a chief who works here. He just retired. He literally had an annual review of how he was doing from everybody, and it was anonymous. He left the box out, you know, fill it out, drop it in the box. I want to know how I'm doing. And it was that was with no regard of trying to have any recourse. He was more concerned of, was I doing the things that these men and women at my agency wanted me to do? And by the way, imagine on top of that, just one step further, if you hit so many marks that were negative, you may get some review from a higher authority to come in and say, well, what's going on here? Because you and I know, you've been, how long are you on the job now? 20 plus years? 25. 
Yeah, 25 years. So you and I both know that it is a pand- or an epidemic in law enforcement. People are stuck being led by some of the worst human beings there are. And it would be such a relief for people to be able to get out from under that rock and get rid of these people or, or move them on. And, and I got to tell you, if you put these people on some accountability, right, some of these chiefs and these deputy chiefs and these captains and lieutenants and sergeants and corporals and even police officers, if there was accountability of performance and at least compassion and caring for your people, and if you didn't do that and that wasn't part of your job, there could be repercussions like you're getting demoted or you're being removed. And if you had that, just that threat there, and unfortunately you have to say it that way, you'd be surprised how the judgment comes into play of the decision making of like to try to resolve this is like, all right, well, I know I got my reviews coming up, right? We do it as cops or patrolmen, you know. Um, you know, these guys want this and I want to get a good review. So maybe being nice to them and offering this will, will get me that good review so I can keep my job. Some of these fixes are so simple. The problem is the people who can change these things are the ones who are also ducking these things. It's tough. It's a, it's a tough rub sometimes. It is. It doesn't have a lot of easy answers. I'll tell you, and this may be shocking to you, we don't have formal reviews of our officers. I love it. Um, I we think look it's at great. it as every day is a review. And really what we focus on is, is setting the culture. We do that both through internal communication and our even our external communication. So even what we're posting to social media or communicating to the public is intended to also influence internally. For example, we celebrate good arrests publicly, but we also celebrate those little acts of compassion uh, that we might get a letter from a resident about. So we're, we're sending this signal to our officers, hey, that good pinch for the gun arrest matters, but so does when you stop to help that woman with that issue, whatever that might have been. So it's not one dimensional, right? We're looking at multiple factors, right? We're trying to set a culture of positive policing. And if you set a review once a year, every six months, it's going to be cookie cutter, boilerplate. Every day should be a review. Every day should be a boss coaching his, his or her employees. Uh, hey, here's what you did great. Here's what we can do better. Here's an officer safety tip. I noticed in reviewing your body camera video, constant coaching, constant bringing people along. That to us is leadership management, not checking boxes on a piece of paper, giving someone a grade once a year. It warms my heart to see somebody in command. And you know, people t- sometimes get confused what I'm trying to advocate. And I say in my classes, and this is not tooting my own horn, but we taught 30,000 cops this year. I, you know, We tell people, and not me personally, that's the dynamic of the whole agency. This is not an opportunity for me to sit here and criticize police command staff. As a matter of fact, the command staff that has sent people to this training and continues to send people to this training believe in the same exact things I believe in. Here's here's Chris Menino, who's a chief of police, and Dennis Menino, who is a founder of a police training company, both in different regards, but the same profession, on the same page, agreeing with the same exact things, no convolution. And we both believe that this is how it has to go to have healthier employees, healthier community relationships, and healthier approaches to combating crime because we are the police and we've got to accept that. You know, I I had guys in my class tell me like, you know, we like, we were going out, we were hitting it. You know, the glass guy took your class. He was crushing it. He was out on the, uh, on the highway. Chief makes his son a corporal. And now this guy's telling us off the highway and he needs to see more tickets every night. And I go, it's just so disheartening that these guys and girls go out with the intention to work and to go out and do good police work. My friend's uh, father-in-law, who was a retired lieutenant, at a White Plains in New York, when I only time I met him, he goes, you know, my guys liked me. I said, why, why do you think you guys liked you? This is at his wedding too, because uh, I let them work. All these guys want to do is come in and work. They don't want to be told not to do things. I gave them air cover, right? If they made a mistake, we'd hold them accountable. But if you made a mistake, that's how you learn too. We're not dinging people on boo-boos. You do something that's, that's wrong, we'll fix that. We understand while you're trying to learn and get this job done that there are going to be missteps. 
And as long as they're not intentional, I had your back. And I wouldn't hang out to dry the first person that came in and complained about you. We, you know, we'd advise them what, what occurred and, and what the intention was. And we didn't find any malfeasance in it. We found that it was just a common mistake. And I think it's, I think it's interesting that police officers are almost not allowed to make mistakes, but any profession you go into, that's the only growth. It's the only growth occurs is through mistakes. Do you feel like you give your guys some good air cover under that similar dynamic? Yeah, it's the same philosophy you said. You know, there's errors of the mind and errors of the heart, and there's a distinct difference. If someone's doing something out of ill intent, that is handled much differently than if somebody makes an error while trying to do something the right way. Just as you said, you learn through mistakes. That's part of the process. So um, there's a lot of grace for that. Now, you do something intentional that violates someone's rights or is not impartial uh, is disrespectful or crosses some line, that's a whole different story. We're going to deal with that without much grace because there's not room for that in law enforcement. I agree. I agree. And I find it that police officers must experience extreme difficulty going out, knowing that they've got to make some big decisions rather quickly. And their administration may be the ones they're fearful of the most. They'd rather get shot almost in some sense than worry about some kind of internal affairs investigation. Well, I'll give you an example. I work Christmas Day. We're about 20% down officers because of COVID over the holidays. And my deputy chiefs and I said, you know what, instead of forcing in the most junior uh, officers to work, we'll split up the Christmas shifts. So I took Christmas night. Now, I've not worked an actual patrol shift. I've done ride-alongs with my officers, but actually worked at solo answering calls in a few years. In Illinois, law just changed use of force policy as it pertains to a bunch of things, but including taser and less lethal shotguns. And I sat there thinking, now, wait a minute, is it we can't shoot them in the back with the taser or you can't shoot them in the back with the beanbag? And I'm stressing now, thinking about how did the law just change and trying to remember this as I go out now and try and do the actual police job. And it's just a reminder for me how stressful it is trying to remember the 300 pages of policy, the thousands of pages of, of law, how many more volumes of case law. It's an unbelievable amount of requirements we put on the men and women who are policing. So leadership has to be cognizant of that. It has to be cognizant that the grace has to be extended when someone is in good faith trying to police well and crosses some line because of a lapse in the mind rather than some intent in the heart. We have a uh, leadership instructor here. He's a captain. And I, I imagine at some point he's progressed to the chief of police of a, of a similar size agency. He's a hundred man agency here in New Jersey. Uh, and Tom Rizzo, who's a real, real dear friend of mine now, and we became friends because the message was out. He was a captain. He called here years into doing it. He just found out about me and said, I need to speak with him. And you know, now he's synonymous with the name. And Tom is excellent. And I think that you and him would be phenomenal friends. And actually, I'm hoping that we stem a friendship from here. And maybe we can even talk about doing things together in the future. Because you line up, again, seemingly flawless with what we believe as well in law enforcement. And again, we have a real feel of proactivity behind this as well. I held up a sign recently on LinkedIn that said, uh, and it really rubbed people the wrong way. I think some people got rubbed the wrong way because they misinterpreted what I was saying. So the sign said, if you have time to write tickets, you have time to catch criminals. Use your time wisely. You know, I had a guy yesterday, even from the Florida High Patrol saying, you know, a ticket, sir, that I go, listen to me. I'm not saying to not stop cars. You're confusing it. I'm mm -hmm. saying if you have three or four hours of time to be proactive, 
Why would you be harassing somebody at 12 over the speed limit who's late to work and then hammering somebody down with six, seven hundred dollars in tickets? When as you're doing that, a gentleman who is now perusing through the courtyards or the playgrounds of middle schools looking to steal a child just goes unlooked at because you're worried about hammering wood down. You know, attributed to my one day course that I teach, it's a 10 hour, 10 hour program, 11 murderers apprehended, actually one in Calumet Park, which is probably not too far from you guys, right? No, it's right, right near us. Yep. Two weeks after class, there's a double homicide at the Cal Park Mall. The cop who caught that guy took my class two weeks prior, said I would have never seen that dude if I wasn't paying attention. I was doing things I used to do. And they ended up getting in a pursuit with that car. Do you remember that story at all? It was a, two female, two, it was a male and female teenager who was shot dead by this guy out of Chicago, this other 18, 19-year-old kid. You know, that's what we're talking about is what matters, how you prioritize what's important for society. Do you think you're gaining cheerleaders from the public when you're handing out paper every day to support line budget seven because they're telling you to because they want the money? Uh, You're not. You know, and that's not what we're here to do or designed to do is to go out and hammer down. And you know, people say, well, are you saying that there's no impact when there's traffic enforced? I go, listen to me. I'm not talking about that there's no impact at all. There's got to be some kind of significant measurable impact when you start talking about traffic enforcement. But I'm saying we have a story of a gentleman in Kentucky who took one of our officers, the guy from Hobart, Indiana, Kenny Williams, the red ninja he's known as, who took his class and a month after the class shifted his mindset and changed his perspective from writing tickets to doing interfering with criminal behavior, essentially. We'll call it a word called interdiction. So taboo in this profession. And he rescued a nine and a 12-year-old who were legitimately kidnapped and being sold in the black market 20 minutes from the destination. He drove six hours to bring these kids to sell them on the black market. And he caught on that something was wrong, put his lights on in the FBI interview because it's, it's, a, it's a big deal, right? It's a, it's a big, big deal. The kid said, when the blue lights came on, we knew we were going to be okay. And what I say to people is, if you're looking through the fucking scope of a laser gun or you have rear antenna radar going, you would have missed that. And the question is, how many things have we missed as a profession? So I'm saying to you is, I think you should care about that more than hammering a guy named Phil out at 8.56 in the morning for 14 over, right? When everybody else is doing 14 over, but he's just the next one that you catch, right? So- Yeah, yeah well, you, it comes back to problem-oriented policing. Are we policing because it's what we do and we're just following a routine? Or is there a problem we're trying to address? And like, for example, right now in Cook County, we're facing a lot of gun violence. I mean, it's incredible the amount of shootings and just violence connected to firearms that we have right now. Our focus should be on stopping that. And I'm not suggesting that traffic enforcement is not important because we have um, a lot of accidents too. But even in traffic enforcement is what we're enforcing related to accidents. Right. If it's not, why are we focusing on that right now of all things? When we have high traffic accidents and a lot of violent crime, let's focus on the things that actually matter. Yeah, for sure, man. I like to me, it's just simple sense. And I don't I don't call it common sense, I call it uncommon sense. If it was common sense, we wouldn't have to explain it to everybody. And I didn't coin the phrase uncommon sense. I heard it. Uh, Warren Buffett has a guy, Charlie Munger, who's his partner. And yes. Munger, I, I watch these guys' videos. I just take so much of these guys are 96 years old, 91 years old. And they're very worldly and very smart. And just the things you can hear from these guys in constant education of these people who have really succeeded, even though it's not in the law enforcement community, a lot of their messages, they match up to just life. So I couldn't agree more with the things that you're doing. I have a funny feeling that a far majority of your agency probably appreciates you and the kind of leader that you are. Speaking the way you speak on LinkedIn and publicly, have you had opportunities to go and do anything publicly to speak on behalf of law enforcement? What do you do? Are you doing anything in that, in that realm at all? Yeah. So, so I am an instructor. I go all over, over the country teaching on, on communication, public communication. So either focus on crisis communications or public relations. So I'm very active doing that, training law enforcement agencies, how to connect better with their communities. What's the name of the company, Chris? So it's Julie Parker Communications. 
and based out of Maryland. And uh, but we go all over the country. As an FBI NA graduate, I speak a lot of FBI NA type, you know, at conferences, things like that of that nature. Do you think you're received well and they're getting the message, or it falls in deaf ears, or it's half and half, or? Yeah, you know, I, th- I think it's split. I think there is a audience and law enforcement leadership that's hungry for something new that believes in policing in partnership with the community. And I think there's also a, another part of law enforcement that this is the way we've always done it. You have to do what I say because I have this badge right here and that's it. And they don't get it and they reject it. And like you said, I'm not trying to convince the world. I think what I'm trying to do is help those who want to move in that direction to do so to the best that they can. Yeah, I mean, you would it would be a sin if you actually didn't open your mouth and say what you had to say because you have a gift and you're sharing with the world. And every new instructor that comes on here, I always tell them, look, guys, I mean, you're not going to win everybody. And you're going to have people who are going to criticize the way you do things, how you said it. I mean, one of the funniest things is we have instructors here who have canines. And we had a conference in Atlantic City, the really, really successful conference. We had a thousand people attend. Uh, it was our first conference. We had some real cool names and all that. And we have another one coming up in um, April 23rd through the 28th, 2023 in Nashville, Tennessee. But one of our instructors talked about using a dog on a traffic stop and what he suggested about how to retain the odor. I almost had 11 people come up to me outside and tell me their theory on the, you know, these canine guys, right? On the odor of narcotics in a car and what to do. Like, hey, you know, that guy's wrong. Oh, that guy was right. That guy's wrong. Here's what. Here's, and they all had different suggestions. So oh, yeah. he had good intentions when he went up there from what his what he believed, and they're steadfast on it. They, you, there's no changing. They are rigid on what has to get done, especially canine handlers. Yeah. And, no, nothing's uh, worse than defensive tactics, though. Bring up a de- defensive tactics topic, and you'll have six people with eight different opinions of how it has to be done. We have a guy, Jay Wadsworth, who we're now talking with. He's a police officer in Jamestown, and he is really, really, really thoughtful. I think he, he fought like 14 UFC fights. He's an older guy, and he's actually one of the most humble defensive tactics instructors you'll ever meet. He's all over the country. They're, he's so valuable. They're dragging him everywhere. And he actually designs programs specifically for law enforcement. He takes, and he's always molding and changing these things. And, he, and he, he'll tell you, you know, I'm not critical of anything. It's just that people have to know how to pivot. And the more you know and how to pivot in a, in a situation that's physical, the better you're going to be in, in, in chances of winning. You know, I think people are talented, but I think that the one formula that people miss sometimes when we talk about law enforcement training is I don't think people have been trained very well on humility and understanding that there's a good way to communicate and you can't always be right. Yeah. So one of the, I guess, one of the greatest factors I look for in promoting leadership within the department is emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. You know, is somebody able to empathize? Are they able to put themselves in someone else's shoes? And that's an overlooked quality oftentimes in law enforcement because we're such type A personalities and we're all, we all want to be the alpha dog. There's nothing wrong with that. We need that. But we also need people who have high emotional intelligence and who can balance that high drive with the ability to see beyond their own limited perspective because we all have a limited perspective. It's funny. I listened to a podcast today. I'm, I'm very big into education. Have you ever heard of an author named Seth Godin? Uh, I've not. He always, he talks about, you know, look for the fear. If somebody's giving you a hard time, where's the fear come from, right? Where, if you're if you're having a hard time, where's the fear come from? Always look for the fear. What what's going on in their life? And that's just really comes back to that that ability to empathize. Yeah. Well, in, in getting back to the conversation about generations, one of the criticisms of millennials is they always want to know why. And from the baby boomers, it's well because this is what the the rule is, or this is what the law is. Well, I actually like that millennials want to know the why behind it because there's times when the actual rule is opposite to what we're trying to accomplish. And if right. you understand the why, you can recognize that. And right. you're able to say, this is why the rule should not apply at this point in time. Now, I'm not talking about violating policy, but there's times when we have guidance out there when it doesn't make sense. 
but somebody out in the field might recognize that. And millennials are great at understanding why we're doing what we're doing and saying, this is why it doesn't fit in the situation. I think that lends itself to your story. There's times to look at it and say, what makes more sense here? Chris, do you think that it's important for a leader to continue to learn about leadership? Oh, absolutely. Learning and education should be a lifelong process. Right. And if you're a leader, it's even more incumbent that it's a lifelong process. There is no arriving. You either learn or you stagnate. Which one do you want to do? You know, I find it comical that people will make excuses that there's nowhere to learn. You don't have to learn from things that are specifically law enforcement. You can go on YouTube and probably watch some of the best leadership speeches ever in the, in the history of the world. And most of them come from the United States. Have you ever heard of a guy named Simon Sinek? Of course. Okay. So Sinek, yeah. So I've, I've signed a book by Sinek, just so you know, got to meet him. Real cool guy. He's from Jersey too, by the way, which makes me even cooler. But you could take probably three hours of training for free on YouTube on how to lead from Simon Sinek and probably shift the dynamic of how you behave and how you pivot. People here will say constantly, I get messages on my phone just randomly. I just want to say that like you're the best boss has ever been. I can't believe that I'm this fortunate. We, we've never had anybody quit ever. I fired people right? This isn't civil service. You suck, you're out. But nobody's ever quit because the respect I give to everybody here. And by the way, if I do something wrong, I'm the first person to say, I'm I'm sorry for doing that. I didn't mean to do that. I'm just a human. It can't be flawless all the time. Uh, My VP, um, we were going through the conference and in front of everybody, I kind of like circumvented her because her decision was incorrect. But the manner I went about that, because she's learning, uh, was wrong. And I called her. I said, I'm sorry. And she goes, you know, and she didn't say anything to me because she's not going to, she, you know, she's my friend, uh, not my friend before this, but like, we're like a family here. Like I love her to death. I mean, I, I really cherish her tremendously. And I called her and said, I'm sorry. She goes, you know, you can't expect me to be in charge and, and make me look like a fucking jackass in front of everybody. I go, you're, you're right. I thought about that 10 minutes after it was over. And I'm calling to say, I apologize to you. And, and she goes, if I'm going to fall, let me fall on my face. I go, when I can let you fall on your face and learn, I will. This one was the one, and not to make excuse that I had to step in and change it because it was really, really not. There was a better way to do it. I go, but you're right. The manner I did it was wrong, and I promise I will do my very best to never do that again to you. And I wasn't like, hey, shut up, sit down. I'll call the shots. I was like, nah, that doesn't make any sense. Let's do it this way. I mean, why are you going to do it that way? Because you know you can't do it that way. This is just smart. I mean, everybody in here could understand that's the smarter way, you know. And it was it was wrong. But I'll challenge you on this because it happened in a meeting with other people present, right? Yeah. And you called her and apologized. Oh, I told everybody. Okay. That's, that's what I would challenge. Oh, uh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. You Chris, then, you then rectify it in the group. Oh, yeah. I rectified it with everybody. Yeah. I came in Good. and said what I did was wrong. And, and that's, and that's leadership. That's, that's leadership. Oh, uh, brother. I could, I can't lay the sword down fast enough when I'm, when I, when I make a mistake. I mean, I really recognize it and I acknowledge it and I take complete responsibility for everything that goes on here. And as I'm building my leadership side of things, the people, the two or three people who, who sit, you know, in a different position here, I kind of relinquish a little responsibility on them just to get them to learn. Essentially, I know everything falls back on me, but I'll say, so you were so sure about that. What do you think? Like, it's my fault. I'm like, that's right. And it's not only your fault, but it's also my fault too. But you acknowledging that is where it begins. And my VP, Becca, who, you know, she, she's younger. I mean, she's, she's in her late 20s, but she pivots and maneuvers here and has such a relationship with every single person who works here that there are people who are 13 years her senior who who worship the ground she walks on because her ability to to communicate with such kindness and empathy but getting her point across it's amazing too I'm very proud of her she's very very good yeah and on that note I would translate that to law enforcement that oftentimes we're too focused on leadership having a certain number of years on or being a certain age instead of getting the best person the most qualified leader 
in that position. We're in an industry that really values that tenure over what someone's able to accomplish. I think that's another way we could probably get a lot better as an industry, not focusing on, well, I served this many years as a lieutenant. I'm owed to be a commander right now. You're not, you're not owed anything. How did you perform? And can someone perform better? And that's what we want in that position. Yeah, that's right. And you know what? You're right. That is the common ground in a lot of police agencies. And I, I think it's a double-edged sword in some sense. I think that, like, for example, in New Jersey, we have two different kinds of agencies, a civil service agency and a chief's department. So one is controlled by the state, the promotional testing, and one is controlled by in-house, both good and bad. The guy who's a good cop working at a shitty agency has a chance of getting promoted through civil service because they can't stop him from taking the test and scoring well. It's based on literally just a written test. There's no other points. There's no interviews. There's nothing. And they cannot get rid of you. So if you so you get inherent change over time with the good guys just being able to take that test and move forward. Problem with that is you also get the bad guys moving forward too because they're good test takers. It's a double-edged sword there. On the other side of the coin, an agency where they can promote and basically choose who they promote, even though they pretend like they don't, if you don't have good leadership recognizing the things that you recognize and making promotions of that sort, you got Joey's brother-in-law getting promoted because you got Councilwoman Susan's son getting promoted. And on the other side of that is you got a guy like Tom Rizzo, who, if he becomes chief, is going to build a command staff of people who are qualified. So for him, it's great. But then you might have a great guy in an agency like that as well, who never gets ahead because of nepotism. He can't win on meritocracy. You know, it's-, it's that, that destroys organizations. Destroys everything. It destroys morale. It pushes people away. I really try here to be as diplomatic as possible and not have, my cousin is my, was my first employee. She's my best friend my whole life. We're the same age. When I met her, when, it, when I said, come on to the, you know, work with me, I said, I, you know, I'll fire you though. You know, and and she's not the highest paid person here. She's in the best job here. She's 41 and relinquishes authority to my VP who's 28. We all have mutual respect for each other, but just because she's my cousin doesn't mean she's being put in positions. I mean, she's positioned very well. She's a flawless job at what she does. She's very organized, shows up, she cares. The whole it's wonderful. But that's where nepotism fails. It's not uh, fails here in this organization. It doesn't, it doesn't exist. I can't allow it to exist. My friends aren't getting, I'm gonna hire. Rizzo, my friend Ryan, who's a lieutenant, hopefully when they retire, if they take my offers, um, not because they're my friends, because they're phenomenal people. Chris, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know that you're busy. Uh, I just can't thank you enough. And maybe we could do this again. The cool thing about this podcast is going to be heard by a lot of people. And we often talk about maybe we can't change the existing administrations and the existing status quo, but we are growing and building. And people really, this stuff really resonates with folks at an early age. We're planting those seeds. So guys like you, me, and Tom could sit back 25, 30 years from now and go, this is great. Like we really, we all put our heads, we found each other through the, the, the law of attraction and we're really watching some good work and it's just very rewarding work. And you know that as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, let me leave on this thought. This is a tough job. There's a lot of stresses involved in it. Let those stresses be from the outside, right? Let it be from outside the organization. If you're a law enforcement leader, don't be a cause of additional unnecessary stresses inside the organization. It's hard enough doing this job today. The last thing we need is the, the internal organization making it difficult to be a cop. And for and those who are doing the job actually out in the street, thank you, because it's gotten harder since I was doing it. And it hasn't even been that long since I've been doing it. So just thank you for what you go out and do every day. It's great, dude. It's great. Uh, listen, again, thank you so much for being here. Check out streetcap.com, our Facebook group. And so you, gotta, you have Instagram? You got to follow us on Instagram. I do. I do. I do some really killer memes on Instagram. They, they will make you chuckle. I'll check it out. All right. So I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. And uh, check out all of our stuff and upcoming courses and all that stuff. Again, thank you to Chief Benino. 
Forest, Forest Park, right? Park Forest. Park Forest. Park Forest. And I, I don't mean any disrespect by that. I just didn't write it down, and I want to make sure I get it right. Park Forest, yeah. Illinois. And he's got a vacancy. So if you guys are qualified and you're looking to go to an agency with a good chief, check out their website and uh, put your application. Maybe he'll take it. Maybe there's a waiting list, a standby list. We'll see you guys next time.